The MHI Industry Leadership Podcast brings together the solutions, providers, and thought leaders of the materials handling industry to talk about trends, technologies, solutions, and best practices to move the industry forward. Christian Dow is the Executive Vice President of Membership and Industry Leadership at MHI. In each episode, Christian will be talking to the leaders and members of MHI's industry groups. Let's join him now. In this episode, three members of the solutions community discuss collaboration between suppliers, OEMs, integrators, and practitioners. Today, I'm joined by Andy Lockhart, Director of Strategic Engagement, Warehouse Solutions North America with Bondolande, Alanam Kalamari, Territory Development Manager, and Les Maycant, Product Sales Manager for Fee Interlogistics. Welcome, everybody. Andy, would you like to give us a little background and tell us a little more about yourself? Yeah, sure. So, obviously, I work for Vanderlande, as you said. Uh, I've been in the industry just over 10 years, predominantly in the highly automated part of the market. So, selling involved with the ASRS type of thing. So, and have seen how the market has changed over the last 10 years. So, thank you for inviting me to this. You're welcome. Welcome. Alana, how about, how about you give us a little background and tell us a little bit about yourself? I work for Moore Electronic. We are an automation components company. Uh, we help improve installations, the wiring of installations um, for markets like the logistics. Uh, actually, Founderlande is uh, my VIP customer, uh, so that is <laughs> one of the one of the reasons why I'm also joining um, this conversation today, and you know, be able to tell you guys a little bit on how uh, we collaborate. I've been with the company for ten year plus. Um, been uh, I started working in Brazil, then uh, lived a couple of years in Germany, and then five years ago, I moved to the U.S. So um, it has been very helpful to uh, learn different cultures and markets and provide some insight. Excellent. Well, welcome. And Les, would you like to tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure. I'm the product sales manager at Fiv Intralogistics Corp. Uh, where we manufacture automation equipment for the material handling industry. Um, my focus is on the products, um, although we also offer integrated systems. Uh, I have over 20 years of industrial sales experience with a focus on products selling across multiple industries, uh, you know, determining customer needs, deploying a consultative approach to selling, and uh, delivering value-add products and services. Excellent. Welcome. So Thank you. today we are talking about collaboration and going back to the MHI annual conference solutions community membership meeting. We had a panel of four practitioners who gave their perspective on what what their expectations are for collaboration with our members, the suppliers to the industry. And really what we wanted to do is come back and get the perspective of members of the solutions community, but members who are in different roles. So on this call, we have two companies that are both integrators and OEMs, and then a company that is a supplier to uh, to the industry. 
And so there's a little bit different relationships and a little bit different expectations for collaborations with each other and with practitioners uh, in, you know, in a project. And so I wanted to get a little bit of perspective from each of you on what, what kind of things do you do to make sure that projects go right? Like what, what are the expectations when you're in a project and maybe you're having supply chain issues and, and things like that? How would you expect uh, you know, your company to handle it? And how would you expect the relationship with your, your partners and suppliers? And I'll start with you, Andy. Do you have any thoughts? Yeah, I mean, it's it's interesting because obviously, you know, more recently those supply chain issues have been <laughs> a much bigger issue than they have, you know, perhaps pre-2020. But uh, I think it's always been uh, a transparency and setting the expectations correctly. You know, how long does it take to do some of these these pieces of work? You know, how long does it take to, you know, A, install the system, but B, to, to ramp it up to full capacity? So setting those expectations fully understanding you know the customer and making sure you've got that piece right is 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 one key piece and then working with our suppliers of course you know no company provides everything themselves so you've always got a a network of suppliers behind you that are supplying that and so making sure that those expectations are correct and there's a good understanding you know when they have to deliver something when they need to be on site yeah, and also obviously up front in the sales process as well. There's obviously making sure, you know, are we doing a fixed price at this point, or is it just a budget? Yeah, those, those sort of things. So you don't want your suppliers going through a going through the hoops when they don't need to, because you know, otherwise they're like, hey, every time you ask me to do something, I spend two weeks on it and get nothing. So you know, you've got a or ten weeks or whatever it might be. So it's really making sure those expectations are right and what's required at what time. So I think that's that's one of the key points there. But that 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 transparency and expectation, uh, both sides, both from a supplier and and to the uh, to the practitioners, is very important. Les, what are your thoughts? Well, the supply chain crisis necessitated out of the box thinking from all industry players just to avert disaster. Reduced availability, growing lead times, and sharp price increases highlight the volatility experienced by essential businesses and consumers over the last years. As a result, schedule and budget discussions found practitioners quickly. At Thieve, we deployed a mix of short and long-term measures to mitigate the newfound supply chain risks. We worked with our customers to triage product and system deliveries to prioritize those that they must absolutely have first, those that are less critical moving to the back of the line. We then addressed urgent issues by further collaborating with our practitioners to approve part substitutions and phased installations to keep projects moving. The collaboration continued for projected issues as well with an increased emphasis on forecasting. The early sharing of customers' capital plans for the coming year helps ensure sufficient capacity to get ahead of the supply chain challenges that are so prevalent now. Perfect. Alana, from the perspective of a supplier, and I know that that your company probably did a lot to, to ensure that they weren't the bottleneck or weren't creating supply issues, but some things are out of your control. How did how does MER handle those issues when they come up? Um, well, it, it depends really what kind of issue we got in our hand, but let's just say chips, right? It's mm -hmm. everyone's pain point. Uh, we uh, completely restructure our purchase uh, 
department at our international to just look in the market for what we needed. We had specs and it was like, if you see any of these, for example, chips like this, you buy at any price as much as you can. And that's what we did actually very early on in the pandemic. Once it was clear to us that projects mainly in the logistics were not stopping, uh, was ju were just increasing. And that, I have to say, helped us a long way, I would say, for some type of products around three years. Actually, it did ensure that we had our our needs but obviously what we had to do then um, we had to then redesign a lot of things because these are pcbs for example so you have to go back to the drawing board and redo you know where where the components are and so that does increase a bit the lead time but we were not as constrained on those on those things early on it will come from time to time. We are still seeing some supply chain issues. Uh, you know, we're not out of the woods yet. I would say power supplies, for power supplies in general, the market is hurting a little bit on lead times in general. And so that is still one thing, but it, it you know, it comes and goes. It depends how long the Asian market has been in lockdown uh, or, you know, if someone just ran out of something and it takes, I don't know, six months to get it again. So we have to look for another supplier, make sure that that supplier, for example, has UL certification on the part. If it doesn't, we have to go and certify UL and that takes also long because they're also backed up with the same issues. So, it's always we're we're playing catching up, but also predicting a lot. Yeah, Andy, can you maybe give a little insight into the the communication that you would expect or you have come to expect from your partners and your your suppliers, uh, whether it's an OEM that you know if a project you're doing an integration project or whether it's a supplier of components. Like, how would you, what kind of things were best practices did you have through the last couple of years to, to make sure that communication was open? Well, I think, you know, <clears throat> what we did is really ramp up in our supply chain group, a sort of a, a monitoring of, of all these types of things. So we were monitoring, you know, started monitoring not only, you know, where's you know, pricing as well as availability. So, you know, steel prices, other commodity prices, and then <laughs> Zelina says anything with a chip in it. Um, mm -hmm. So, you know, controls systems and stuff like that you know you're constantly talking to your suppliers now about okay where is it like where are you at you know is it because you know, we've seen you know something that was perhaps once upon a time in the good old days a 16-week uh, lead time has now gone sometimes they went over a year now they're sort of coming back but you constantly updating this so that you actually know where you sit so um, and that constant communication through our supply chain group to to our suppliers to sort of understand where they are so that, that when we do actually go say, okay, now the project's real, we know where the where those supply chain issues are. And also it helps us with on you know talking to the practitioners when you're setting your know, realistic timelines on what their project is. You know, is it a one-year project, a two-year project, a three-year project? Um, because depending on some of those components, you know, I say there was a component you know, a fairly major component in the system that was on a 52-week lead time was nothing else we can do. There's 
wasn't like we could substitute something else because it was a key component. So when you look at those, you need to know that. So you can say, as I said earlier, talk about setting expectations. But as I say, it's become for us a part of our process now to constantly monitor our, our suppliers and constantly understand where, where the market is and, and where the supply constraints are. And then, you know, again, if we see they're going up, is it is it a component we can buy from elsewhere? Is it a component we can go back to that supplier and say, hey, what can you do about it? Can you substitute something? It's sort of a bit like Elena has talked about in terms of what they do as well. So yeah, constantly monitoring and changed our process from, you know, to be you know, a constant process as opposed to once in a while sort of thing. Well, and and you, this weekend uh, or this last week, I've heard anecdotally that, that a member of MHI experienced, you know, chip prices that change from you know less than a dollar to going up to $95 for the same chip and now it's come way down to $65 well, you know and so there's a lot of this that that the market is really very volatile in a lot of these components causing a lot of a lot of issues and how do you handle that well i think you you're very right i mean there's there is a lot of volatility and it's a, also a case of am i buying am i ordering and getting it in 52 weeks or am i going on you know the spot market if you like you know, it's a bit like, if you, you know, do you buy oil on the spot market or do you buy it when it's cheap? You know, it's the same, it's, it's that same sort of volatility. So when you start going and looking on the spot market so you can get something so you can achieve a delivery, then, you know, the prices can be all over the place. So it's, it's, a, it's, a, constant, it's a constant battle in some respects in terms of trying to manage that. But you're right, the, the, the prices can be, can be all over the place. We're going to see some of that as well. Yeah. Elena, do you have any comment for that? Yeah, uh, particularly uh, when we're talking about that kind of pricing or something like that. We have had several cases when, um, you know, we, we had a supplier for, I think, from Singapore. And uh, we ordered, I think, 100,000 pieces. And we got, I think, 1,000 by the promise date and they were 300% more expensive because um, at that point, I don't know how it is right now, but at that point they were charging the pricing on delivery. So it wasn't the price that they quoted you. It was when they deliver, then they would charge you a certain price. So, <laughs> and we had no choice. We, we had no choice. Said so You know, you either pay or they get the next one. So Andy, you mentioned back, you know, kind of in the beginning that a lot of times, you know, things have gotten to a point where you you think something's coming in, in 16 weeks and it might take 52 weeks or 60 weeks or, you know, longer. Uh, what do you do when the scope has changed for the customer over that long term? So if you have an end user, a practitioner, and all of a sudden their their demands are different, right? You You're over this longer period of time, they're their business is going to change and their demands are going to be different by the time the project's going to be installed. How do you handle some of that, that change, that scope creep or, or change that they might experience? Well, I think scope creep isn't so bad in some respects, unless it's, if it's creep and it's slow creep, if it's wholesale changes, because you've still got, yeah, most of the stuff that you want on order. I mean, it, it's not like it went from 16 weeks to 60 weeks overnight. So typically, if you've got a project that's that's actually in process, you've already built in 
you know, maybe it's 40 weeks, maybe it's 50 weeks. You haven't, you know, built in at 16 because we haven't seen 16 weeks for a while back now. But it really depends a lot on how a project changes because if it's just smallish changes, you can deal with that. You've, you know, we're buying way more of, of, item x than just for that one project so you're you're playing around moving stuff around internally as well so there's a lot of juggling which is sort of a juggling game as well within the supply chain as well so you're moving stuff around and it may be the change only requires doesn't require you to have more components but if it's a wholesale change it could have lots of other effects so it's uh managing that and obviously managing the customer because if they you know, did a wholesale change it's like okay you want to change this by the way that is going to cause this project to run for another 20 weeks or whatever. Um, so, you know, you, you have to, again, you know, as any project manager would tell you, there's only three things you can move, which is the number of people, how long it takes and how much money it costs. So <laughs> you're playing one of those games. So. Yeah. So let's, let's go back to, um, you know, before the project starts, when you're looking to bid a project, and you're looking to to kind of create a solution that works for for the practitioner, but for everyone, right? And something that's mm-hmm. it's going to be the right fit. How do you how do you address that? How do you collaborate with your practitioner up front to make sure that this is going to be the right solution for them? Sure, you you have to identify what that winning solution is. So, uh, simply put, a winning solution provides the best overall value to the practitioner. But much like beauty, the value is in the eye of the beholder. So fully understanding project-specific needs to ensure proper focus when designing the solution is a must, but all bidders endeavor to satisfy the spelled-out requirements of an RFQ. That's merely the prerequisite of a qualified bid. Adding unique value to a solution requires a much deeper understanding of the practitioner and its operations. Perhaps one practitioner is struggling most with the reduced participation in the labor market, while another is struggling to find a suitable building for an urban DC. The former would likely appreciate an application of automation to the full spectrum of items to be handled, including small and oversized non-conveyables, not just the easy items to automate. By contrast, the latter would likely prefer a solution focused on reducing footprint because smaller buildings have higher availability and lower capex and maintenance costs. I'm particularly fond of this last example because it highlights that a value proposition can transcend the integrator's scope of supply. Suffice to say, the essence of a winning solution is the creative and logical application of the deeper understanding gleaned from collaboration with practitioners. Excellent. So is there, Andy, what are your thoughts? What it's, when you guys go into a project, when you're going into to take a look at a project for the first time, what's your approach working with uh, in collaborating with the with the practitioner, well, it's very much wanting to understand their business requirements. You know what their pain points are, what they're trying to achieve. Because you know, I think you've really got to understand that piece of it so that you can put the right solution together. Because you know, we could all put the best automation solution in the world together, but you know, you know, are you trying to sell them a Cadillac when all they want is a Chevy? You know, so it's really understanding their processes, their their um, their products that they're trying to put through the automation, what their you know customer promises, all these aspects that come together to say, start to look at what do you actually need for a solution and what should it look like, um, and then you then you're going to gauge the right level of automation to meet that requirement. 
and obviously you want to know the budget, but you know, quite often a practitioner is not going to give you the budget because uh, yeah, they're going to tell you, oh, well, we've got $20 million to spend and you're going to come in at $19.99 million. Yeah, that's, that's <laughs> that never happens. So yeah, they're not necessarily going to tell you what the budget is. But, but the fact of the matter is, is you're really trying to look at making sure that the automated solution really fits what they're asking to be done or what they're trying to achieve. Alana, how would you work with, you know, uh, one of the OEMs or integrators in when they're starting on a project and what kind of things can you value can can you provide on on that end to, to support them in their projects? Um, pretty much on the same scope that they are they do with practitioners. Um, once they have a little bit of an idea of what they want to achieve, then we go about um, looking for the best solution for what they want to do. Um, so it might be that they want to do something very small or, for example, just an expansion. Everything needs to look the same, but just a little automation, a little more. So we go maybe with a passive solution, which just means that we're going to get rid of some junction boxes around that make it easier for maintenance people to see diagnostics. Or it could be that we can... You know, they are dealing with a lot of IOs and then we need to get them on a certain level where they can save some time because the project will be big and save maybe some money by, you know, downsizing a little bit the amount of IP addresses or something like that. So it really depends on what they want to achieve, but it goes well along with what they are already doing with the practitioners. Excellent. So Andy, we talked about with, you know, kind of aligning with customers' goals or with the with their goals of the, the organization. And a lot of their goals these days have to be have to deal with sustainability. And and really MHI is really focusing uh, this year on ESG sustainability and really what that means. So environmental environmental, social, and governance, and then sustainability issues around that. Andy, what kind of things, when you talk about environmental impact, what, what are the things that, that, that you're looking to help them collab- and collaborate with them on to, to solve for them? Well, so Unlander as a company has a whole uh, sustainability ESG initiative. I mean, it is actually one of the core uh, goals for the company as well. So I mean, it, it is key to, to becoming part of our DNA. So um, we're doing a lot of stuff in the background around how we do things and you know zero waste and all those sort of you know all the good ESG side of things. Um, so all of these things roll into into solutions that, that that we provide as part of you know the overall portfolio. And as we move forward, you know we obviously we we plan to meet you know the goals of the Paris Agreement uh, ten years ahead of time that sort of thing. So that then lays into you know our shuttles are are wireless and battery charging. So um, we have a, a program to sort of refurbish motors and that sort of thing. So all these things are programs that, that, that are available to customers that help meet those sustainability goals. And I think, you know, being a European company, you know, sustainability is much higher up the, up the uh, ladder in some respects than it still is in the US. I know it's a growing thing, but you know, I think when you compare where Europe is to where the US is in terms of driving these sustainability goals, I would argue that the, that Europe is ahead. And so, being a European-based company, that 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 is really driven into everything that we do, right? And I, I just heard a term 
uh, something that that maybe I've heard before. It was kind of familiar, but it was something that really kind of got me. And and to your point with refurbishing motors and uh, and reusing uh, maybe batteries and things like that or repurposing them, uh, cradle to cradle. Um, you know, so you actually have a new life for the same product once it's been refurbished again. So it has a second life in use. So that's a, that's an yep. interesting concept. Yep, it is. Uh, Les, can you talk about some of the sustainability, uh, how you partner with your, your customers on sustainability issues and, and how you're helping them reach their, their goals? Sure. Uh, you know, much like uh, Andy at Vondolanda. Um, Thieve is a European-led company um, at the group level, and we have sustainability initiatives um, that we're very proactive with and focused on. Um, you know, from a product standpoint, that usually uh, translates into uh, you know, reduced energy consumption uh, for for the equipment. So that's kind of the uh, that's kind of my perspective on it as a product sales manager would be, you know, how do we sort all these items um, effectively and consume less energy? So it's, you know, it's motors, it's, uh, you know, more lightweight materials, even if it comes at a higher cost, uh, those types of things to get the energy consumption down and uh, lower the total cost of ownership for the equipment while also meeting, you know, sustainability demands um, across the globe. Excellent. And Alana, as a supplier, how does uh, how does Mer Electronic handle or help, you know, with the sustainability issues? And I and you know, obviously with you know the changes in what can go into products and things like that. But there's a lot of I'm sure there's a lot of sustainability issues around Mer Electronic. There is, uh, yeah, and it, it goes more into the products that we manufacture. Of course, uh, we are always looking at being also compliant with, uh, you know, Rojas and, you know, all sorts of making sure that our products have as little as just really the required uh, amount of materials that shouldn't be there. We can fully, you know, uh, avoid them, but um, in older products, there are some, then we just kind of steer away if the customer has an issue with that. But it's normally very, very easy through our products. As a company, we are also very much oriented in the environmental side. Uh, we actually just got the ISO 14,000. Mm-hmm. Um, so that is also was a big issue for us. Our, you know, the, the, our shipments are, uh, we're trying to be as much environmentally friendly as possible. Um, in Europe, for example, all of our cartons are um, made from the recycled uh, materials. So that kind of thing, it's always in, in, in our, uh, in our mind. Um, our, Policies also in our offices, uh, we have for production, we have Kaizen, which is trying to make everything with a, a little waste as possible in the shortest amount of time. So every process that we have in production, shipping, office, and product, we try to um, look into a sustainability uh, point of view. So I'm going to bring up a, a topic. All of us on this call are part of the solutions community and the solutions community has about 70 member companies that, that are very, right. We have consultants and integrators and, and OEMs and of all different types of equipment, software, so providers, things like that. 
what does it mean to be a part of MHI and each of the industry groups that you guys are part of, and especially the solutions community, to work together and collaborate to, to build the industry? Andy, you want to start with that one? Sure. Well, I think you touched on a bit at the end of your sentence there in terms of building the industry. I mean, it, we can't all just be independent and do, do our own thing. I think it's really important that we come together, that we drive things for the industry, uh, not only for us as uh, you know, OEMs, manufacturers, suppliers, but also for the practitioners as well, because the more successful we are as a community, the more successful we're going to be. Each, you know, It's the you know, rising tide lifts all ships type thing. And I think that's that that's really important. It also builds the relationships between these uh, different elements. I know we can, you know, you have competition as well, but there's um, it's really important that we work as an industry to grow it and uh, bring together the, the the strengths of the various pieces. As I think that ultimately gives a better solution for the practitioners, which I think, yeah, from a solutions perspective, is particularly important because some of the other groups you you focus on one little area but the solutions group really focuses on that on the complete solution for for the practitioner which is is particularly important because you know one bad thing happens in our industry and it goes around like wildfire so mm-hmm. and you know and we all get tarred with that brush so i think it's particularly important that you know by working together we you know, minimize that happening so i think it's really important excellent alana have you had you know, Murr is very involved in, in MHI in the in the industry groups. What is your experience so far? How how do you think it? Very uh, positive, very positive. I mean, uh, I think we started pretty small with engagement, and then just saw the value per, pretty early on uh, because it gives us perspective on the industry where we should be. You know, we are connecting all. Uh, all of the, the the needs of the industry and hearing here what is what does this particular say and this OEM is doing it and that OEM maybe thinks something different. So it helps us also to get the perspective of what is the market needing right now and how can can we help and how can we be helpful. Uh, not only, you know, ch- trying to profit for, from something that the market is needing right now, but how can we solve problems? That's uh, more of what this type of um, type of connection that MHI has um, has given to us. It, it has been very, very helpful. Excellent. And, and Les, we'll, we'll, uh, what are your thoughts and, and your experience at the annual conference and, and everything else relating to uh, the industry groups and solutions community? Sure. Uh, I've had the distinct pleasure of representing Thieve at um, spring and annual meetings. Um, the one thing I've, I've really noticed about being a part of those groups is just the, uh, the networking opportunities uh, have been tremendous. I, I've, I've met a lot of people for the first time at those events. Um, so a lot of new connections. Um, involvement in MHI gives us a voice within our industry and, uh, frankly, uh, you know, a platform, some, some marketing opportunities to create content like this or uh, a speaking engagement at an MHI trade show. Um, so I think it's very beneficial and, um, I would highly recommend it to anyone in the industry who's not already joined. Yeah. So the solutions community is always looking for 
practitioners to come and speak to us at our spring meeting and annual conference. And so if anybody listening to this would like to learn more about how to become a speaker as a practitioner, an end user, somebody that is uh, has experience with material handling equipment, you can reach out to, to me. And then to learn more about the solutions community or possibly join MHI or the MHI solutions community, you can go to mhi.org or mhi.org backslash solutions community to learn more. Uh, I would like to thank Alana, Andy, and Les for joining me today. Thank you, Christian. Thank you. Thank you. It was my pleasure. Thank you for joining the MHI Industry Leadership Podcast. Join us next time to learn more about the trends, technologies, solutions, and best practices that are moving the industry forward.